Well, good morning to everybody out here on the lot. Good morning to everybody online. And man, happy birthday. You are 245 years old today. Well done. And you don't look a day over 200, all right? You look beautiful, people, all the way around. It's fantastic. So today is the 4th of July. It is the birth of our country uh, that we celebrate today. And it's going to be a little bit of a message about that. Not terribly long, just a little kind of snippet here. But some reminders that we find, even in the context of some of our founding thoughts and what that's all about. And so uh, what I want to do right now this morning, first off, is to pray. And we're going to jump into kind of what we have for today. So thank you for being out here with us as we uh, try to make much of God's word in a great holiday like today. So let's go ahead and do it. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us. I thank you for the fact that we can take a day like today and reflect on you. Even as we reflect on our country and our heritage we are reflecting on you as the center point of all of that. And so I pray that as we are looking at some very simple truths that come from your word, that we are reminded of what it is we are meant to do, meant to be, and what our rights genuinely afford us. And so I pray for your great insight and wisdom. I pray for a sense of your spirit to uh, just simply uh, just instill in us a passion for what you are passionate for. And so we thank you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you in your good and kind name. Amen. So it is roughly the first early half of 1776, and Thomas Jefferson has been tasked with the responsibility to basically write a Dear John letter, all right? What the Declaration of Independence is fundamentally is a breakup letter, but it's not a breakup letter with John, it's a breakup letter with George. And so here's Jefferson trying to figure out, well, what do I say to this guy? Because fundamentally what he's going to write is, Dear George... It's not me, it's you. You're difficult, you're bossy, you're pushy, you're demanding, you take me out for dinner, and you think, I, I could think like you paid for it, but then you send me a text later saying you owe me for dinner. That's what he did. And so I found somebody else, their name is Democracy. Sign Jefferson and XL, right? Like just the whole group signs it, right? That's the spirit of that Declaration of Independence. That's what was going on in that particular day. But I can't help but think about Jefferson and what he had to work through as he's like, how do I start this off? Because the king's not going to dig this. And it can't just be, hey, George, we don't like you. It's got to be something deeper and more profound than that. And so what's the grabber that you use to kind of start such a rich prose? Well, of all the things he could do, I think he did what all good writers do. He borrowed from other people. That's how he starts it off. So he goes to his friend, Philip Mazzi, and Philip had this statement about the equality of people, and he's like, that's really good. And then he goes back and he looks at John Milton, and he's like, oh man, Milton wrote about this idea of these kind of rights that are true to the person. And then he looked at Locke, and he looked at Hume, the great Scottish philosopher, the philosopher in a kilt. I love that, right? So he takes all these people, and then he puts his pen, his quill to the paper, and he writes this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights now here's a little bit of just a tidbit a little bit of history here originally that's not quite what jefferson said he said that they were endowed with certain inalienable not unalienable but inalienable rights but some scribe messed it up i'm sure he was like oh I put on all this work and you messed it up. But you know what? The spirit of it is still there. 
we understand the essence of what he's getting at. And it's so beautiful, and it's so simple, and it's so profound. In fact, of all the statements in literature, this is one of those statements that breaks the bounds of mere English, and people from all over the world are familiar with this idea. This idea actually transforms the way the world does business as time unfolds after 1776. It's really profound. In fact, I believe at the moment that that is written, those signers of the Declaration of Independence don't even realize the magnitude of those words. Because again, you've got to keep kind of history in mind with all of this. The signers went, that's right, all men are created equal. And what they even thought after the war was fought, as our founding documents were created, they thought, well, by all men, we mean all land-owning men, predominantly white. They didn't think that expansive at the time. But see, I believe Jefferson knew what he was unleashing into the world. I think as he wrote that, he knew that it was going to grow and evolve and develop in such a way that pretty soon the all men would be all indigenous and all people of color, black, brown, white, it wouldn't matter, all people of gender, male and female. Like he knew that this would break the bonds and pretty soon that all men would be all people and all people would be seen as equal because they are endowed with such things by their creator. So it's a powerful idea, this sense that the creator makes all of us equal. That we're all endowed with something from God. Now here's the thing about Jefferson. He was an incredible statesman. He was a philosopher. He was a man of vision. He was a snappy dresser, right? This guy was a stud in many ways. But he was also human. And as we learn about his own history, we know that he had some skeletons in the closet. And as we learned about his history, we realized that while he was a profound thinker, he wasn't necessarily a theologian. And the proof that he wasn't a theologian is in the simple reality that he took his Bible and he says, there's a bunch of stuff I don't like in here. And so what do I do with the stuff I don't like? He cut it out. So he literally created his own Bible and published it, the Jefferson Bible. And I have it in my office. And what's really great about it is it's short reading, right? Because it's like, he's just like, don't like it, get rid of it. Go like it, get rid of it. Like if he was a politician today, and he did that, we would all be apoplectic. Like, whoa, a politician just rewrote the Bible and put it out for the masses. And it's like, yeah, that's what he did. Shows he wasn't much of a theologian. But what's interesting is some people say it doesn't matter because the Declaration isn't a theological document. And I go, right, but the Declaration grounds its main idea in a theological concept that all people are created equal by their creator. And that creator gave them certain rights. And those are unalienable or inalienable, whatever term we want to use, that is what they are. And so he's making a theological statement from the get-go. What I think we need to do with a day like today, though, is realize that in this big reveal where he's saying, hey, listen, George, God gave to all people certain things we need to realize that there was a chain of events in the mind of God to get to rights that in some ways Jefferson kind of fast forwards to the end. In other words, from a biblical perspective, to get to the place where we have rights and how we understand those rights, how we live those rights, uh, we need to kind of start at the beginning of the chain and work our way through. And so the way we're going to do that today is we're going to take Jefferson's Bible, we're going to put all the verses back in it, and then we're going to take a look. That's the best way to do it, is help Jefferson get a right Bible in the first place, all right? So, God is indeed the creator, and he has indeed endowed us. But I want to look at all the things that he's endowed us with. In fact, if you're taking notes in our app this morning, we're going to have four points. 
And the first point really is kind of the hub of what we've been talking about, which is God has endowed us with certain unalienable truths. Truths. In fact, one particular truth that's so critical is this. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. It's the core truth. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So here's the thing. When Jefferson says we're all equal, he's not doing that because he goes, hey, we're all homo sapiens. It would be fair for us to all see ourselves as equal. Let's roll with that. That's not where the real genesis of this is. According to Genesis, the reason that we treat each other as equals, the reason we see each other in this light is because of the fact that every single one of us doesn't simply bear our own personality, our own likeness, but rather every single human you meet has the image of God. Every one of them. So this means it's not simply those who you see as your equal. But the challenging truth of the Bible is people that you see as frustrating, as difficult, as like mocking of you, of not being on the same page as you, seeing the world differently than you. People that you go like, man, they are the problem with our country. Those people, they still bear the image of God. Right? This is the central truth for us as kingdom-minded people to embrace. If we're going to love our neighbor well, we want to realize that even the most difficult of neighbors bears the image of God. And when we own that, we do far better in how we interact with the world around us. And so it starts with that idea that this great truth is that God is the creator and he creates all, all people with his image doesn't matter if they're a friend or a foe. It doesn't matter if they're fun or a drag. It doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor, they're black, brown, white. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, evil or nice. does not matter. Left, right, all have his image. Now, for those of us who believe this book, and for those of us who would claim Jesus, see, we're aware of that truth. There are some people that actually love the Declaration of Independence, but they don't believe in God at all, right? But, but we see something deeper to Jefferson's words, we see a deeper truth. And so from that, because we're aware of the fact that everybody bears the image of God, because we know our value and worth and dignity is bound up in the image of God, we then realize the second thing in our notes, we have certain unalienable privileges, right? Not just truths, but privileges. In fact, in the gospel of John chapter one, verse 12, it says, but all who believed in him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God. And so the coolest thing for us is we realize that God did this in us. We have his image and that he invites us to be a part of his family. So when you begin to follow Jesus, it's more than just, hey, I have a new religion. According to the Bible, you actually have a new family. God becomes a very unique father. You become a son or a daughter of the king. And then even from that, what you realize is that you have a certain access and security that is guaranteed because of that. So you can come and say, Abba, Daddy, Father, I need you. I seek you. I'm, I'm, I'm having problems and I'm in desperate need of you. Whatever it might be, it's like that's the invitation we have because of this. And the promise is he's a good father who gives good gifts because it's his good pleasure to work these things out in our lives. And so for all of this, this is a great promise that we are God's kids. That is the privilege that we have. And because we're his kids, we have the full access of his affections. He loves us, shows us grace, shows us forgiveness, guides us in truth, takes care of us even when things are bad, right? All of that is true of him. And it's not just simply so that we can enjoy it, 
But according to the Bible, it's also so that we can export what it is we experience with God. That takes us to the third thing. We're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable responsibilities. Right? If we bear his image and we know it, if we have the privilege of being his kids, then the purpose of that is not just simply so we can be like, oh, lay it on me. I just want it all to be about me. No, the, the design is that we would give that away to others, that we would give ourselves away just as God gave his son for us. In fact, it says in 1 John chapter 5, it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So if we claim we love God, we have to love the people around us. He says, we know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. His commands to forgive, his commands to come alongside, his commands to bear burdens, his commands to let things go and to make things right, all of those types of commands. He says, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So John has this little progression here, right? If you believe, you have privilege. And if you have privilege, it means you're God's kid. And if you're God's kid, that means the apple falls really close to the tree. And if the tree is God is love, then the apple that falls really close to the tree is you, and you too are to be love and to love. You're to love God, you're to love others, you're to love his truth. You're to love doing what he says. It may be challenging, but it shouldn't be burdensome. And so John has this idea in mind that that is our responsibility, right? Our responsibility is to live the truth of God in our own lives. As we love those outside of our faith, maybe, or even in our faith, as we love them with grace, we live out truth for ourselves, right? We model that. And when we model that truth because we love God and we love others and we don't want to bring uh, kind of any bad reputation to God's name, but rather we want to be a good sense of salt and light those types of influences in the world. When we do that, the world looks and says, wow, I see your character, I see your heart, I see your disposition, and I want to give credit to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5. So this is a part of our, then, responsibility that we live out. And when we understand this responsibility, linked to privilege, linked to truth, that takes us to Jefferson's words, that all people are endowed with certain unalienable rights. Only in light of that other stuff does the rights make sense for the believer and the way the Bible articulates it. And part of this is understanding the rights that we have are not rights so we can expend those on our own self-interest, but rather we have those rights so we can expend ourselves in sacrifice, in service, in lack of self-interest, where we give ourselves away to others. Now, I didn't write this. Rather, we see that Paul does. He says in Galatians 5, for you've been called to live in freedom. Today's all about freedom. Go, great, what do I do with my freedom? I'm waving my flag. I'm free to do what I want. Well, here's what he says. My brothers and sisters, you've been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Your wants, your desires, your demands. He says, that's not what it's for. He says, instead, you use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole of the law, 613 commands can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, what's valuable to remember today as we celebrate freedom is that that freedom is not simply so we can ensure our own sense of life 
liberty, and happiness. That's great that we have those byproducts. It's great we have access to those things. But it's not about my life, my liberty, my sense of happiness. But rather it's remembering we are kingdom citizens with a kingdom calling and a gospel responsibility and we're meant to be light and we're meant to be salt. And so from that, we're to use our privilege and our freedom and our rights for the good of others. Because there are some people in our world, right? Not just in our culture, but maybe in your life where what they need is an ally. They need an advocate. They need an aide who comes alongside and says, you know what, I see that your sense of life or liberty or happiness in some way is suppressed, is some way lacking, is some way broken. You seem displaced in this world and I've got a message that is far greater when it comes to life liberty and happiness and so i want to be there for you and i want to give myself away to you because it's really not about me in the end it's about him in the end and it's how he wants me to relate to others that's the heart of how we use our rights and our freedoms as kingdom citizens in short our right as followers of jesus is to to serve to love our neighbor in a way that truly makes a difference in fact, John said it this way in 1 John. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and thus we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John makes it clear. It's not about self-indulgence. It's about self-sacrifice. And some people will look at this and say, Well, right, but that's for the brothers. That's only for Christians. We don't need to do that with the disbelieving world. But remember when Jesus had a, a, like a religious lawyer come to him? And said, all right, Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And they talk and they banter and find the conclusion is, well, love God and love your neighbor. And then the lawyer says, but who's my neighbor? And what he's looking is to limit the scope, right? Jesus, my neighbor is just the Jewish population. My neighbor is just the people I like, just the people I get along with, just the people I find fun, the people that I actually connect with. And Jesus goes, oh, that's really cool. But let me tell you a story about your most hated enemy, a Samaritan, this, this group of people that you think are deplorable and disgusting. He says, people like that who do things to people that don't like them in kindness and compassion, that is the model of a neighbor. And so John would not let us escape this verse by saying, oh, I only have to lay my life down for those who think like me. He'd say, no, 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 you, you, whoever your neighbor is, whoever's next to you, in front of you, beside you, or near you, that's your neighbor. And so you were to lay yourself down in that way. And then he closes with this, and it's how we truly love. It's not that we say, hey, I love you, move on. No, true love is different. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, sees a neighbor in need, sees a person in need, and yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in that person? We say, man, I love people, but not those people. I care for people, but I'm going to avoid those people, right? I care and love and, and desire for all people, but some people, man, I just, uh, they're terrible. He says, then how does the love of God abide in you? as little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth see the heart of this whole thing is to say hey we have a very unique relationship to god right we have his image which means in that we're re realizing we're aware of the privilege that we have in him and because of the privilege we know we have responsibility and then the responsibility we use the freedom and the rights that we have 
for the good of others because that's the gospel call, that's the kingdom heart, that's what Jesus invites us to. And when we live that well and we live that with passion and that becomes our priority, that is where God does rich things within our world, in our hearts, and in our lives. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you for a simple reminder from an incredible preamble in our American heritage. And I thank you that you often say more in a document than even the writer of the document may be aware of. I think that's true to the scriptures. I think that's true to the Declaration of Independence. I have no doubt that Jefferson fully did not realize really the essence and the truth of what he was writing when he wrote it, but you did. And I pray that we take these truths and we would live them. We would be what you want us to be. And we would do it not simply because it's expected or demanded or it's obedient, but rather we would do it because we really believe that that's what brings change to the world. And we would be passionate about real change, not for our own comfort or ease, but rather for the glory of your name and your kingdom. So Jesus, we thank you and we praise you this day in your good name. Amen.